Welcome to the Talking Preps. Is this second edition of the new school year, Jim Paulson? Um, good to be with you again. And uh, where do you like? Where do you want to go? Uh, get started. It's we've got a pretty full show here today. We're jumping right into it, huh, man? We're we're, we're getting right down to business. There's not going to be any pithy little intriguing small talk, which I don't know. I have anything pithy to say anyway. But uh, all right, let's get to the business. What I want to talk about is. Um, what I've been focusing on for a good part of the, part of the week is the uh, football game coming up on uh, Friday night at TCO uh, uh, Performance Center, the Vikings' um, home base. Um, St. Thomas Academy and Creighton Durham Hall, a resumption of uh, longstanding private school, St. Eastside Catholic School rivalry that hasn't been played since 2004. I think they played twice in 2003 and 2004. They haven't played since. And it's uh, it's a really big deal on the east side of the river. You're an east sider yourself, a Johnson kid. What do you feel about uh, Creighton and uh, and St. Thomas resuming this rivalry? First of all, I'm a Johnson kid, which means I'm east side. Anything else is east metro. <laughs> <laughs> There's east side, and that's a very specific designation. Everything else, east metro. So let's just, first of all, get that straight. Um Second of all, I had I had gone back. We were talking the other day and looking at the St. Paul Conference, the St. Paul City Conference archives. I found their last game that they played against each other was 1991. Was there a more recent uh, time that that St. Thomas and Creighton Durham all played? Yes, they played in 2003 and 2004. And I talked to Dave Zebarth yesterday, the uh, St. Tom former St. Thomas football coach, and he said Creighton whacked them both times. So <laughs> they were obviously non-conference game, but they weren't. Um, but the, those are the last two times I play. Okay. And before that, that may have been a resumption from 1991. And when I was going back, cause, cause St. Thomas Academy was in the St. Paul city conference as of 1986. And then they were gone, even though they played a lot of those teams, uh, or treating Durham Hall used to be a St. Paul city conference team too. And they were much more recent before they, yeah, well, they got, they got booted out in 2002. Um, uh, matter of yeah. Speaking of Johnson, we it was Johnson, <clears throat> excuse me, played Creighton on a Thursday night. It was the night of my bachelor party. I was over at we were at Gabe's by the park, yeah, you know, off of Lexington um, in St. Paul near the fairgrounds. And I don't, I still don't know how. I didn't think they were still doing local TV at the time, but sure enough, they got the game on TV, and Johnson just smoked them. And it was great because the next day. Uh, I, I through my bleary eyes, I looked at the paper and a kid from Johnson was quoted saying, that's for every time Creighton Durham Hall did that to <laughs> conference over the years. And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> so that was, yeah. Johnson had some players, man. You've talked about those guys, about Tommy Reynolds and Thomas Tepe. They had some players. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, this was a few years later than that. Of course. I, I, I think this, um, I can't even remember some of the, the key components on that team, but yeah, it, you know, I, I felt that if, if you're Creighton Durham Hall and you've, you've decided not to go all the way up to six, a now, uh, you know, sort of the golden parachute is, Hey, we, we can play St. Thomas again. And that's cool. But it, again, to me, it sounds like a, it feels like a bit of a consolation prize, you know, to, to overshadow the fact that you've kind of lost the ability to be a factor in six, a right now. Well, you know, the Creedence enrollment is about as low 
as it's been in a number of years, then just dipped down under a thousand. They've usually been sitting somewhere up around 12, 1300. When I talked to uh, Phil Archer, the athletic director, who was also a great football player at, at Creighton, by the way, an alumnus. Oh, yeah. He said that uh, and then they could qualify as a 4A team, but he thought that this is the best, uh, the best move for his kids and the program right now as they hope to try to build things back up. And I, I wrote about that at the start of the uh, season. Losing doesn't really get you anywhere. I mean, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in losing. We all like to wax poetic and be philosophical about what well, things you learn in a loss. But truth is, no one likes to lose. And it, it's hard to develop a program and rebuild a program when, you, when you're sinking. Now, it's hard to really inflate yourself and get back up. So I, I guess I don't, I don't not understand them. Y'all, uh, Archer had told me that he'd heard from a lot of alumni that was hoping that they could stay in, in 6A and rebuild the program. But I'm with him. His number one goal is the kids and the program. That's who he's looking out for and not the fans, not people that want to look and say, hey, you're the big shots. Stay the big shots. No, he wants. To, he's looking out for the kids that he's responsible to, and and that's the decision they made. And I, I, I really don't have a problem with it. When you look at their enrollment, I really don't have a problem with it because while people will often say private schools can recruit kids, which I think is kind of a misnomer in the in the terminology recruit, um, they do have a uh, an advantage in some of the in some ways, but they also have uh, no feeder systems that go straight to their school like other schools do. So it's kind of, uh, I say six and one half dozen of the other. And I guess I don't blame Creighton for doing that. Well, let's keep the focus on this matchup. I mean, St. Thomas Academy, I saw them play at South St. Paul. Uh, they weren't quite themselves. They had a, they were uh, missing some people and uh, you know, they just, they were, I think they used three different quarterbacks that night. Uh, then they came back the following week and had much better showing. So I think they're, uh, they've, they've got a kind of better sense of what they do well and, and they should be playing well. But meanwhile, Creed and Durham Hall is 0-2, so I, we'll see if they can use this week as a bounce back. You know, the Creed and Durham Hall 0-2 thing, yes, that you're right, but they haven't played a, uh, uh, a pushover schedule by any means. I mean, we're finding Class 5A has some very, very good football teams, and I, they started the season against Spring Lake Park, which is always a tiff team. I think they should be, they'll be ranked in the top 10 with them rankings come out and then they go out and they, they play Matamidi. Those are two of the top teams in class five, a in the Metro and it doesn't get any easier. And now they go out to TCO and play St. Thomas Academy. Now this is supposed to be a home game for Creighton, but it's at TCO, which is right out there in, in Egan, just across uh, 494 from where St. Thomas Academy is actually located. So I got to believe you'll get just as many, if not more St. Thomas Academy fans there. I was out at St. Thomas Academy on, uh, on Tuesday to talk to the coach and some of the players. And there's a lot of excitement surrounding this game. You know, they do have uh, I'll be writing about this on Friday. They have a, a coach strength and conditioning coach and the get back coach. You know, the guy on the side that tells everybody to get back on the sidelines, the get back coach is none other than Steve Ross, who was a superstar for Creighton Durham hall in the uh, early nineties. And then went on to play uh, um, college football, at the university of Colorado played uh uh, had, was in the camps and, and got a couple of injuries with NFL teams and the Giants and the Indianapolis Colts before he played for Scotland in the, the World Football League. So, But now he's working for uh, as a strength and conditioning coach out at uh, St. Thomas, and he's on the sidelines for him, and he says he's all blue and white now. He's, uh, he's kind of switched his allegiances. And, 
And there's an awful lot of interest in this game amongst the, the parents and the alumni, almost as much, if not more than the kids. Although the kids are seeming to feel the interest in this game too. Uh, I talked to one offensive lineman at St. Thomas Academy. He said, Oh, it's a game of the year. I grew up playing with these kids at schools like Catholic schools, like nativity and Holy spirit and some of those schools over on the St. Paul side. So there's an awful lot of uh, interest in this game and it's pretty much, I think you're going to get pretty close to a sellout at a TCO on Friday night. Well, that would be great. And it's, it's one of really a, a tremendous uh, uh, lineup of games for, for Friday night. I mean, Let's let's move on to Eden Prairie Lakeville. Uh, this is number one versus number two. Which, by the way, who did you vote where in your AP with your AP vote? I've been sticking with Lakeville South. I always usually do and, until they give me a reason not to. And it's Lakeville. I went Lakeville South. Uh, Eden Prairie, <laughs> the top three. Even though all three teams struggled a bit more on uh, Friday than they did the previous week. Yeah, I agree. I went number one, Lakeville South. Uh, the other, the other, uh, we'll come back to what you said about, about how teams' fortunes looked a little different in week two. But first, we'll mention why Zeta is going to play St. Ta- Michael Albertville, which is a great matchup in a Minnetonka. Yeah, numbers, numbers three and four, it would be because that's kind of how I went St. Michael and Zeta in number three and four. And I think that's how they were in the last rankings, too. So that's another top game. Yeah, and then uh, Minnetonka Maple Grove is a matchup of two uh, two and O teams. So that that's that's four strong games to 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 have uh, on the docket. Yeah, not not to mention the resumption after a couple of years of hiatus of the Armstrong Cooper intra uh, district rivalry in uh, Robbinsville, which both teams are are very good class five eighteen. So if if you're looking for high school football this weekend, there's an awful lot of good games to check out. You mentioned uh, how some of the teams that did win in, in two did it in a lot different manner than week one. And it, it kind of left you wondering a little bit about where teams ought to be ranked. Can you unpack that, that insight a little bit? You know, think about, I do some Metro rankings. I'm not sure how many people actually pay attention, attention to them, but I do Metro rankings every week. And preseason rankings, I admitted, is kind of a somewhat informed, I'm not going to pat myself on the back too much, a somewhat informed guess at the start of the season. You don't know who's, uh, who, who the new kid, new guys coming out are, any transfers, anybody that's been injured. You're just kind of going by who a team has back and what their quality of their program was last year. Um, and then that's kind of what you base things on. So that's the first game. The second week, um, perhaps the week one games, it's still not a real good uh, telling because while you get a better sense of who a team is, nothing, the season changes for most teams. The biggest change you'll find from it for a team is after between weeks one and weeks two, when you have a game under your belt, coaches can assess who they have. They can see who they can count on, who they can't, what changes need to be made. So if a team looked really good in week one, um, you don't exactly know how strong that team is because you don't know what the opponent was like. Uh, by the same token, if they struggled in week one, that doesn't mean that the team's not going to come back and have a really good week two. Um, I think after two weeks is when you get a really good assessment of where teams are in terms of how they need to be ranked. Um, and that's kind of what I was talking about. But so far, my early season rank, they're holding four. Uh, I'm firm. I haven't changed any of the uh, top I mean, seven, I believe, at least six um, for the first three weeks. It's, for the Metro rankings, it's been Lakeville South, Eden Prairie, St. Michael, Wyzetta, uh, Rosemount at Shakopee, and they've all uh, held serve. Yeah, it reminds me. I 
a couple of years ago, I wrote about I, some one of the football coaches had said that the biggest jump a team makes in a season is between weeks one and two. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a pretty bold and broad statement. So I unpacked that a little bit back in, in September of 2019. And they just, you know, they look at a number of factors, you know, they, you start to see, you get to see what, you, you know, you, you, you have your best players out there on both sides of the ball. You get to see what did and didn't work. Start moving players around. Uh, guy, kids themselves are getting the jitters out. They're getting the other aspects of the game day schedule figured out. And and uh, you know, there's just there's just a lot of uncertainty that that doesn't exist anymore after you get that first game out of, out of the way. So as far as you know, who, what is the identity of these top teams? I think they are still the top teams. That they just may be doing it a little differently because they're settling into what they're going to become. And, and I think we saw that a little bit in the different ways that these teams went about winning between games one and game uh, week one and game two, or excuse me, week one and week two. Well, absolutely. I mean, Lakeville South has been last year, I think uh, they averaged 45 points a game. And that includes a fourth only sworn 14 against uh, St. Michael Alberville in their season finale and played an eight game season. This year they came out and scored what fifty points in their season opener, and then they yeah. get helped by Lake by Lakeville North. Um, obviously that's a, a, a strong rivalry game and a lot of emotion and, and and passion in that game. So I'm not surprised that it was tight like that. But I would never thought that uh, Lakeville South would get just held to twelve points. By the same token, Eden Prairie, who didn't give up an offensive first down or allow Eastridge to cross midfield until um, the fourth quarter. They only gave up one first down, and that was by penalty uh, against Eastridge. Gave up 29 points and almost 350 yards to Farmington. Um, and this is a Farmington team that had to replace uh, some stud players last year, including their quarterback, So, and has a brand-new coach. So it, it really makes you wonder where these teams really are at this at this point of the season. And uh, and that, that St. Michael Alberville, number three, who got down 16 to nothing in the third quarter before they rallied against Centennial. And while Centennial is... I don't think Centennial is the top team. Centennial is the team that always plays hard, always hard-nosed, never going to give an inch. So I'm not surprised by that. But uh, you know, you just, these are things that you just don't expect. It makes you question who should be number one. Should Wyzetta be number one? They haven't given up a point this year. How about Rosemont? How about Shakabee, which is doing exactly what we thought they would do at the start of the year? So there's still a lot of questions. Yeah, I think we'll get a lot more answers after these top matchups themselves out Friday. It's 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 one of the more anticipated uh, weeks of games that I can remember. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. You you get to cover the Eden Prairie Lakeville South game, am I right? Uh, yeah, I'll be at Lakeville South for that. Yes, that's that. I I think while I'm at uh, TCO covering the St. Cretan game, I think I'll have the video for that Lakeville South. Uh, Eden Prairie game on my screen so I can keep an eye on it too because that is in the terms of in, in grand scheme of things that is the most important game of the weekend now I had talked to Dan O'Brien the St. Thomas coach uh, about the game with Creighton and he acknowledges that from a historical perspective and interest uh, perspective it doesn't get much bigger than the St. Thomas Creighton game at least in terms of that community but in the grand scheme of things it's just week three and they have a, a lot bigger goals in mind than to just beat Creighton Durham Hall um, for this game, for Eden Prairie, obviously they can look at it the same thing, same way, just one game. But this is a real measuring stick. Who is the best team? They didn't get to play last year. You know, I know teams are different from one year to another. You have a lot of turnover in players, but this is going to suffice as kind of a, of a determining factor 
um, for last year and this year. So you got a really good game you're going to be at. I, I, I'm kind of envious if you're going to be there. You're envious because both teams run. This game should take about 20 minutes. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, they both have uh, have decent quarterbacks. I mean, um, and they're they're willing to throw the ball once in a while. Um, so I'm, I'm Mike Grant is always willing to throw the ball on more than you think he is. Even though they do play that that uh, physical pound and down your throat football, Lakeville South can do the same thing. That's the thing. Two teams of very very similar styles. Um, so that's what makes it good. The Minnetonka Maple Grove game really stands out to me too. Minnetonka as coming back from a couple of subpar years, 2-0. They've given up 10 p- total points this year um, against Maple Grove, who I thought, according to what I'd heard from Matt Lombardi in preseason preview, that they were a team that was going to have to lean on its defense a little bit while the offense gelled and came around. And said, so what has Maple Grove done? Got out and scored 105 points in two games and averaging 50-some points a game. So um, I didn't expect that at all. This should be a real fun game in Tonka and Maple Grove. Yeah, so it all sounds good. I mean, I'm looking forward to the whole thing. You know, I'll be watching. You said you'll be watching video. I'll be looking at Tweet Deck with great interest as as the uh, updates roll by from these from these great games, and it gets, it's going to give us a lot of fodder for conversation going into next week. And, and if I could transition here, speaking of big games, we'll cross the spectrum now to girls soccer. Uh, last night, Minnetonka ventured over to Edina. For, a, uh, for the first of two meetings in the late conference and what's most likely going to be the first of three meetings since these two teams always find a way to hook up in section two uh, and in the finals. And um, last night, Edina wins five to one, which when you have teams of the caliber of Minnetonka and Edina, I didn't expect either team to win by four goals. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise. No. I talked to the Edina Katie Affel today and I said, well, you know what? You know, all I see is 5-1, you know, to break it down for me. And she said, well, it was a deceiving score. She said, uh, Minnetonka actually led. They, they had the first goal of the game. Edina then uh, had come out well and was unlucky to give up that goal. Well, that, that put them back on their heels a little bit. And they, they didn't tie it up until uh, about uh, 10 minutes to go in the first half. And then it was a 2-1 to one game until uh, I think around the last 10 minutes of the game. And then you know, thump some app and the floodgates open and, and Edina, you know, wins at five to one. Um, you see that happening every now and then because uh, a team like Minnetonka probably moves. It's a, uh, it's a defense forward kind of maybe puts four people on the front line or even five and they start playing an attacking style. And if a team, a good team like Edina can counter punch, then they're going to get some, uh, some uh, odd man rushes upfield. So it's not that a team like uh, Minnetonka might lose five to one somebody because I believe it, I would, I would venture guess. By looking at it and what you said, I think that they changed their offensive attack trying to get that equalizer. Well, and I was wondering too, how was Minnet- did Minnetonka say, you know what, let's just go try to play with them. Let's let's open it up because Edina's fast. They got some they got starting first and foremost with Maddie Darlene. She was uh, won the track and field 100, 200, and 400, and she's got some fast teammates. And so they they fastest girl, fastest girl in Minnesota right there. Yeah, yeah, and she's got teammates aren't too shabby so they can fly and i was wondering did he did, did minnetonka try to open it up and play with them and got burned or what and you know figuring hey we can always pack it in for the playoffs because yeah Edina's number one but minnetonka is uh beating the uh 
beating me down in the section two playoffs uh, the last three seasons and shut them out twice. So, um, but she said, no, there was, you know, they seemed everyone seemed to be playing straight up. Uh, there was a lot of other little, in, you know, intrigue about that one because the, the head coach at, at uh, Minnetonka is now Kelsey Hans and she had been an Adina assistant coach under Katie. So there was that little subplot going on. And so, you know, then Darlene goes out and has a hat trick. So, so the big players were, were big, you know, like they needed to be. So it was, it was a really good night for girls soccer. And then what, what, what are the other things that Katie said that she liked? She goes, I think we had two to 300 people there, which is a big number for soccer. And so. Yeah, absolutely. This really good night, a beautiful evening, two good teams, uh, just a good night for soccer overall in those two communities. Yeah. And, and, and it sounds like it, you know, let's not also forget that, uh, with summer soccer and club teams, I would I can't say for sure. I'm making an assumption here. Gotta believe a number of the top players on both teams, West Metro schools, might play on the same club teams or the same all-star teams in the summer. Um, so they're familiar with each other as well. So uh I'm I'm sure that that aspect added a lot, you know, conference rival that that added probably added a lot to that game as well. Um as long as we're talking other sports and trying to get out of the off the, the football thing. Volleyball has been going great guns. The first big weekend of tournaments went on last weekend. And if you paid attention to volleyball scores, you ever look in the paper, it just fills up a Sunday uh, scoreboard with volleyball tournaments. Uh, biggest one last weekend was uh, the Southwest Minnesota Challenge in Marshall, which is uh, a, a volleyball hotbed. Um, and the number one team in class 4A, YZ, approved it again um, by winning the Southwest Minnesota Challenge over the number one team in class one, a, and probably the most underrated volleyball program in the state, Miniota, uh, in the championship match, Miniota's always been good. They're always there. They always have terrific athletes, including uh, a name that uh, you may have heard in the state tournament basketball last year. And she's been a state tournament regular and Natty Rollbacky, Natalie Rollbacky, um, fantastic athlete. And she's finally a senior this year. She seems like she's been at Miniota for, for a dozen years or so, but, uh, <laughs> That would have been a great match. Minnesota stayed, uh, or Wyzetta stays number one. The other match to watch was that New Prague. Just last night, Tuesday night, uh, beat Bloomington Jefferson. And Bloomington Jefferson was a team that is really coming on strong this year. This was going to be their, their big year, but uh, New Prague beat them. Um, you know, Jefferson was had a, a couple of injuries, injury to their setter and an injury to one of their top players. It happened in the first set of the game, but uh, – uh, you know, volleyball is going great guns, and uh, obviously soccer is, is really uh, coming on strong. And it just feels good to be talking about these things, to be seeing fans in the stands, to see the sense of normalcy of people getting back to doing what they've been doing for so many years. Um, it, it's, it feels like a high school athletic season right now. Yeah, we've just been worried all about, you know, the things we should be worried about. Who's playing who? Who's got the best chances? Who's ranked where? What do the crowds look like? I, I like it. Let's let's keep this rolling just like this, shall we? Yeah. You know, I do know that some teams are still taking precautions. You know, they're they're, they're staying masked. They're masking on the bus and and they're doing those sorts of things. But uh, uh, as far as what's going on uh, on the field and in the stands, it seems it seems very, very normal. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, good to visit with you as always, Jim. I, I look forward to this stretch of games. It's a stretch of football games Friday. Uh, we'll have it on uh, footballhub.com. As Jim and I mentioned, we'll be out at the biggest games of, of a evening for big games. So be sure to check out our coverage. Be sure to 
check out Jim Paulson's Metro rankings. They're going to probably, they're going to have to move and shake a little bit after this week. Uh, so yeah, I hope you're ready to, to put it, to put them all in the right spots again. I'm, I'm in the right spots. I'm ready to take a little heat. Who should be number one? Who should be number two? Who should drop? How far should they drop? It's, it's, it's going to be something, uh, uh, Metro rankings are going to take a, take a hit this week. So they'll be published on Monday. Go ahead and take a look. Sounds good. Thanks everybody.